The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And even though every day could be Friday when you're stuck because of a pandemic, we are still kicking off Fridays the way we always do here on Talk is Jericho with the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, I'm in the car wash right now, so it might be kind of loud. Well, I'm not in the car wash. My car is. I'm inside my car. Anyhow, I'm going back to the doctor. The doctor said, uh, he just, you know what he just told me? He says, don't think, eat anything uh, fatty. And I said, you mean like bacon or and burgers? He said, no, don't eat anything fatty. Thank you very much. Hey, got to <laughs> give it to Duff. That was a good one. Uh, we could all use some laughs right now. I know we're all going a little stir crazy being locked down at home uh, to stop the spread of the coronavirus. And it's working, which is good. We're starting to turn things around. But I know you guys are still stressed about your work situations and all the disruptions and changes to your regular life. Uh, so I'm here to entertain you, give you a little escape, and not just with Talk is Jericho. Blowing it out live every weekend on the Saturday Night Special. Come join me for virtual drinks. I'll be drinking. You can too. Stories, sing along. And of course, I'm answering your questions, Facebook Live and YouTube Live at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let's have some fun while we're all staying home together. And this Saturday, uh, Fozzie will be joining me, the entire group, Rich Ward, Billy Gray, Randy Drake, and Frank Fonsere. So it should be a lot of fun. And remember, if you can't join me on Saturday night, you can always see what you missed on YouTube the next day and on Facebook as well. And today... My dad, Teddy Irvin, the baby-faced assassin, returns to talk as Jericho to talk NHL. All right, so uh, excited to have uh, Keep It at 100 Hall of Famer and uh, uh, official greeter of the Jericho Cruise, Ted Irvin, is here. My dad, back again. It's funny you've done. Uh, you spent more time on Conan's podcast than you have on this one. So to- well, Conan actually phones me. Oh yeah. If I can get rid of that other little twerp that's a sidekick, I get on the air more, but they won't let me on the air. That wimp. That wimp. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Disco. Disco. That's yes. why I had uh, I had you call the people in Chicago wimps. Yeah, I really appreciate. It. I've never been booed so much in my whole life. When they started booing me about me calling Chicago wimps, uh, <laughs> that was good fun because after the fans were terrific to me when I went upstairs after and uh, taking pictures and uh, uh, a couple of Chicago Blackhawk fans came over to me and said, uh, what do you think of us now? I said, well, I think you guys are terrific. And that was, that was a good experience. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because we, we had a chance to talk about that. We did the uh, Thanksgiving celebration for Le Champion and uh, you were you were coming down to Chicago anyways because you wanted to see the show and I said well do you want to be a part of the show and uh, put you in, in, in the giant box because in wrestling pantheon when someone goes in a box whenever there's a giant box usually the person opens it and gets attacked and I wanted to do it where uh, for the first time ever somebody's actually in the box that you want to see so my idea at first was to put, I'll put Sammy Guevara in there and then when you said you were going to be coming down I said well what? maybe I'll see if I can put put teddy in there and so i i talked to tony tony and cody about it and they both liked the idea so i pitched it to you what'd you think when i first asked you well i was excited because uh, yeah i phoned you i just wanted to come down and see you. i hadn't had a chance to see you in that in that uh venue with the guys i hadn't had a chance to meet all the guys so i was really excited then when you called me back i said to my wife bonnie i said 
I can't believe they're going to... I'm going down there, and I may be part of this whole thing. So that was very, very exciting to me. But it took you about 10 minutes to analyze the whole thing and then reach out, and all of a sudden I'm on my way down to Chicago to see you in that venue. And then luckily enough, uh, bad weather, you still got there. That was the most frightening thing because I thought oh, maybe right, I'd yeah. have to wrestle that night. <laughs> in place you'd have to do the whole thing. I yeah. had to do the whole thing. So that was a great experience. And you know what I – I just really appreciate the guys in the dress room. I appreciate the fans. I appreciate being part of that whole thing because it's uh, it's not as easy what people think. It's nerve wracking. So tell us about your experience. So how, like you know the show is about to start and, and what, what 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 do they do and where do they take you and tell us about all that. Well, you forget that uh, you always said to me delegate some stuff. Well, I was standing around. I thought everybody forgot about me. Which way do I go in? Who's going to come and get me and everything else? So. So when it started to go, I was looking around for somebody to take me, and uh, I, I can't remember the, the, the nice young guy was doing all the ring stuff. He said, don't worry, I'm coming back for you. So I thought at first they were going to black out the TV, the arena, but no, they took me in with my Ranger sweater on. And people were yelling, Teddy Irvin, Teddy Irvin. <laughs> they recognize you? Yes, I'm going, well, my name was all over the place, and now I'm going, uh-oh. I'm going to rip these people, and they're cheering for me right now. <laughs> Even though you're wearing a Rangers jersey, oh, too. Oh, that was just so obvious. So, But the, what had happened was, earlier, I'd sat in that box on a chair. You couldn't breathe in there. And I was trying to say out loud as you guys are in the ring, hey, I can't breathe in here. And you know, no, there's a door there. There was no door in the darn box, so I had to cut a hole so I could breathe in it. A little breathing holes in it. <laughs> yeah. So now I get in there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm hearing all the fans. I'm hearing you do all your stuff and the guys coming to the ring and uh, there's big uh, big jake there and uh, the goats and uh, virgil and i'm listening to this whole thing and i'm sitting there saying it's getting close to me getting close to me and <laughs> they'd put a chair in their box and i sat on the chair and they put the sweaters under the chair i was sitting on them i couldn't get the bag out to get the sweaters and now i'm trying to lift my chair up nobody can see this i can't stand up because i can move the box so Anyhow, so when it came out, you kind of go blank because all of a sudden now it's showtime. And uh, so it was a great experience. And uh, the funniest thing is me trying to get out of the ring because you said, well, look, the boxes are going to be gone. You got to go behind and get out of the ring, roll out of the ring. I get there. How am I going to roll out of the ring? Well, the fans were sitting in that corner. They must have killed themselves laughing because <laughs> then I tried to lift those ropes and those are tight. I couldn't lift it. So I said, well, I'll go underneath. So then I went down to the bottom, and I couldn't get out from there, and I tried to reach out, and I got the bad shoulder, and people were killing themselves laughing. I couldn't roll. I couldn't get my legs through the ropes. <laughs> and now I stand out there, and that was even funnier. So I tried to be as courteous as I could. I stood in front of one of those big blow-up uh, animals, <laughs> and I was killing myself laughing and watching this. Then these guys come running down. There's going to be a big brawl. I'm into, oh, it's wrestling, man. These guys are going, then I realize, I got to get out of here. You guys are halfway up the ramp. I'm, going, <laughs> I'm stuck in the corner going, what do I do now? So I ran up, and then one of the guys threw a trombone or a saxophone and almost hit me, and I'm ready to go back in the ring. And then I said, no, I got to get out of here. So I left. So it was, it was, what went through my mind, nobody knew, but it was really quite another experience in life, which I appreciate. Well, it's one of those things, too, like because – you know, I mean, that was your first live promo in the wrestling ring. First time ever, maybe even in a wrestling ring as far as, you know, in the last 20 or 30 years. And you forget that when you get in and out of a ring daily, it's just secondhand. But when someone's never been in, it happened with Cripple Threat, with the uh, On America's Got Talent, with Ryan trying to get in the ring. That was wonderful. It's like, how do you get in the ring? And we actually made a joke out of it, like roll in the ring. Like, it's... It, it's not something that, that you just can do and people think it's so easy when you've never done it. It's, it's really not. No, you walk up the steel chair, the steps, and you get on the apron of the ring. Thank goodness you were there because you lifted the top rope. I said, this is easy. I could go under there. But when I had to do it myself, I couldn't budge those darn things. Right. You know, up or down. And I was stuck. I was literally stuck. I had to go through the, <laughs> the bottom and the middle one, and I'm going, oh, I hope this is not on TV. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing Pat Patterson taught me years ago. When the focus is not on you, you don't have to worry about it. You just lie there like a douchebag. No one's watching you anyways. <laughs> so what was the reaction uh, backstage? Did anybody say anything to you backstage? Uh, people watching at home? Well, the people backstage are so good. Tony Khan was the first guy. I came because at that stadium, your, your ramp was very high. So when you left, go behind the, the, the curtains and that, you had to walk quite a ways down, mm -hmm. you know, 
And he was the first guy. He came right out of the booth there. Mr. Irving did great. He was high-fiving you. And you know what I said. I'm going for a beer. And then the other guys were coming over. They're a good job and everything else. And, uh, and then my uh, balloon was burst because I went around the corner, and there was them goats, and everybody was petting and talking about goats, and nobody even noticed me. <laughs> <laughs> and how about at home? Did you, a lot of people see you at home? Oh, they were crazy. People... Where you, you got booed? I said, yes, I did. Why would you do that? And, she, and they said in the local paper, the Teddy Irwin called Bobby a Hall a wimp and this and that. And oh, they said it in the paper. Oh yeah, and, and it was on the radio. Apparently, why would he go in and badmouth him stuff like that and everything else? Jeez. So I got back to the office. The office booed me too. So, yeah. well, people wait. Bonnie had phoned a bunch of people, so they're all watching it and everything else. So it was quite a quite an experience. It's one of those things, the same as. People just don't get it, don't understand what it's really like. Well, once again, like you said, to be doing this, you know, for 30 years, it's just part of the show. But when you go do it, like, oh, my gosh, he insulted Bobby Hall. How can he do that? And I never even thought about that. I just said, I just say the line is funny and everyone knows it's part of the show. But people don't know that sometimes. Well, actually, what happens when you get home being analytical, which you know I am, I looked, I said, oh, I should have said this. Oh, I should have presented myself that way. So I wanted a chance. <laughs> I could have been a somebody. <laughs> well, anyway, speaking of Bobby Hall and, and, and you know, your first foray into wrestling, uh, which is was really good, but something you know very well, uh, that wasn't your first foray, was obviously playing hockey. And I thought it would be a great kind of a topic to talk about who you feel are the greatest players that ever played or that you played with and uh, kind of just uh, get your thoughts on that because there's so many, you know, you, you read different people, sports writers will say this and fans will say that, but for someone that actually played in the game, it's always an interesting take for me. So I thought that'd be kind of a cool topic for us to discuss. Yeah, you really triggered something for me because uh, I'm at a point in my life right now that I look back and be appreciative of the people that are brought into my life and why. And yeah, you can talk about athletes and hockey players and everything else. And you can look at stats, you can look at a hockey card. But sometimes there was more to the story type thing. And when you asked me to do this, I'm like, well, I play against a lot of Hall of Fame hockey players. Right. But also, some of those guys meant more to me off the ice and during the game than just their stats. So when I started thinking about it, I went right back when I first started in the old six-team league, which was with, with the Boston Bruins. Eh? And I, I remember names pop up me that quick. Hall of Famers, but not that they were Hall of Famers. It was something else to them. So when I started to look at this, I went back to Boston because I played in Oklahoma City, and we'd won the championship two years in a row there, and that was good hockey in Montreal Canadian Fire Club. But I'll pop up names. I'll say Jerry Cheevers. I'll say, why would I say Jerry Cheever? You know? One of those guys off the ice and in the dress room, I remember this day how key he was, not only as a goaltender, because he's the old guy that played with all the face masks, with all the stitches on the mask. So he, he would draw a stitch on his mask whenever yes. he got hit in the face with a puck where he would have gotten the stitch if he didn't have a mask on, basically. Yeah. He came down to Oklahoma to get in shape at that time, and I was lucky enough, he hung with me a little bit, and he called me Moose. And we'd go out and ride horses. And we'd go do this, and we'd go that. And then when I played against him, he'd skate by, hey, Moose, how are you doing? He just one of those guys, he had that cheeky little smile. You know, he tried to score a goal in Madison Square Garden from center ice. And well, he, what, he, he rushed the puck. And he rushed the puck all the way up there. But Cheesy, the guys relied on him as a human being and funny. Guys would rally to Jerry Cheevers. And I always remember Cheesy was not only a winner. He, you know, he was, I don't know if they considered him a great, great goaltender. But he's won the Stanley Cup. Great goalie, but also it was his attitude on the ice and how he made you feel. So I remember, if I, I remember when I quit hockey and I was doing radio in Winnipeg, and Boston was in town, and Cheesy came up and he said, hey, Moose, when did you get the mustache? I said, Cheesy, I've had it for five years. Oh, nice mustache. But he was one of those guys who just made you feel fun mm. and to this day i know that he golfs a lot with my old teammate brad park he always says to say hello there's something special about him away from the game that i remember as a young guy we needed him in goal and we had bernie perrant and doug favell too wow but cheesy was just one of those guys away from the rink he used to sit with don cherry's brother dick cherry and dick cherry was a principal at the university at one of the schools in, in in kingston and they brought him down he was a black belt kung fu guy and we got into a game, and 
anybody went close to Jerry Cheever's, Richard Dick Cherry, who was so quiet, a bird watcher, and they used to sit on the bus, and Jerry would say, oh, Dick, what kind of bird is that? And we... <laughs> <laughs> and we knew he was putting them on. In the game, what happened? Somebody ran Jerry Cheevers, and Cherry almost killed the guy. He started choking him up with the sweater. Wow. Tears were coming to this guy's eyes. And we had to jump in and grab him. Don't mess with my goalie. Right, right. So, so that kind of guy means a lot. He's won Stanley Cups. He's a hero. He's a coach and everything. I just remember him as, boy, I'm sure glad I was at that age. And he took the time. To say, let's go hang out. And this is from Boston, or this is from Boston. Oklahoma City? No, well, it was Oklahoma City. And then over the years, I played against Boston right. gotcha. you know, all the time. And but you'd see each other quite a bit away from the game. Mm-hmm. And so Cheesy was one of those guys I remember as I go back into Joey Watson, who played in Oklahoma City, my first roommates. You know, I mean, he's from Smithers, BC. I was lost. I didn't do anything, and he cooked. It was wonderful. I mean, Joey from Smithers, BC. His two best friends were Teetles and Tukey, but I was. <laughs> 20 years old i was scared and joey now i look back he used to make cream corn with a with a can of water and the corn would run all over the plate and his mom come down what kind of corn is this why well, put he didn't put water in the soup but he put water in the corn <laughs> and we hung together and he was one of those guys he was so much fun and he made it to the nhl and i played against him in philadelphia same guy to this day but i remember joey he helped me as a young guy when I first started. Mm. I had to rely on somebody, and I roomed with him. We bought a 1955 Ford, 100 bucks each, or whatever it was. Came out of our apartment. It was a ramp down to the road. We went down the ramp. He was driving. There's no brakes. We went right across the road, across the other road, up. We could have been killed. And he said, I can't understand this, Moose. Again, one of those guys, great hockey player, won the Stanley Cup. But helped me so much away from the game. Mm-hmm. Came to me today when you said, Joey Watson, why would that come? He meant something to me. So when you say that he was your roommate, are you talking about like uh, like living in the city? Or are you talking about when he went on the road? Or? No, uh, live in the city. Yeah. So you guys had an apartment together? Yeah, yeah. That's cool, yeah. In those days, we didn't have any money, so we lived in an old apartment block. And every Sunday, somebody threw a, a bomb out the window. And it was kind of like an old folks home. And it was... 12 stories and we'd run out at first and the manager come don't worry it's just somebody we can't catch them somebody throws a bomb out the window and everything else <laughs> but we were young we were stupid but we won championships and to this day i still remember titles and tukey the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So Oklahoma City is the state of Oklahoma, obviously, right? Yes. So that's a pretty big culture shock going from Winnipeg to Oklahoma. I mean, that's the Wild West. How was it for you just kind of adjusting to living outside of the country in a different place like that? Well, I started in Minneapolis, and then we went to Oklahoma City for a couple of years. Again, that's where the team sport comes in. We're all a bunch of young guys. We were the next Boston Bruins. The only trouble with the six-team league. You couldn't get because You couldn't they, get in. You couldn't get in. They kept their 18 players. Wow. You no. Know? And... So we That's hung, interesting. Oh, it really was because we went into Boston an exhibition game at the beginning of the season. We beat them. I don't know how bad it was. I always remember Doug Favell beat the heck out of Reggie Fleming, who was a tough guy. Fans were cheering, you guys stay. Eddie Westfall came in our dressing room. He says, that's embarrassing. You guys should be playing here. Oh, because the secondary squad got yeah. yeah. So, so we relied on each other, and we grew together. So we thought we were daring we didn't make you know, i was making 3500 bucks or whatever it was a year yeah. yeah and then so at that time so we we thought we were doing okay the culture shock came and we went to the nhl i went from 
Oklahoma City to L.A. There was the culture shock. Mm. Your mom had to drive down by herself. Right. We didn't know any difference. And they changed the hotel on us in midair. And the hotel we were supposed to go to was called the Cockatoo Inn. They changed the hotel for a reason. Now, all the wives are driving to town. They don't know each other, and they got to find a hotel. And they finally find out they got to go to the Cockatoo Inn. And all the wives are checking out, looking for these hockey players. Say, yeah, right. You know? But we were scared. L.A. was now your big, your freeways. You're living further apart. Mm. And uh, so that's when the shock happened, get to L.A. Then the culture shock when you went on the road for the first time into the Chicago's, the Montreal's. That was frightening. Mm. And we didn't have a veteran team yet, Terry Sachuk. And Terry helped us out so much, I got his name down here, because it wasn't for him, we would never get paid. Let's talk about Terry, yeah. Well, Terry Sachuk, he was the number one draft by L.A. Kings, Hall of Famer. And we got to L.A., we'd been practicing for weeks, we had no money. When we got there, we're supposed to have cars, we're supposed to have meal money, we're supposed to have where we get our apartments. And what happened was that none of that was there when we got there. So we were practicing, and we hadn't eaten. We were taking crackers out of the restaurant. And Terry Sawchuck stood up, phoned uh, Larry Reagan, who was the general manager, said, I quit. You can't do this to these boys. You can do it to me, not to these kids. They just told him, go home. Jack can't cook, who's the owner, got involved. Next day, we had our checks, the car. And I'll never forget Terry Sawchuck. He didn't stand up for us, okay? We may never have been the same team. We became very close after that. Now, Yuki was a quiet man and everything else. But why, why weren't you getting paid? They were going to teach us a lesson. What's the lesson? The lesson is you uh, work harder and we'll treat you guys better. And, gotcha. Uh, you, know. you ain't shit. Well, that, yeah, that, those days you never say anything. You just shut your mouth and you... Because like you said, it was so hard to get into the league. You didn't want to say anything and get blackballed because once you went down, you might never get up again. Right, because right? you had three-way contracts too. What's the three-way? You had the NHL, you can make uh, 11000 You had the American League, you can make 7500 Or you can go to the Central League and make six. Oh, wow. And they fight every night. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you, if you were hurt, you shut your mouth. You wow. didn't tell anybody. So, and that, and that's just the way it was at that time. Well, Terry was a Hall of Fame goalie as well, though, right? Hall of Famer, tough, one of the toughest fighters. Uh, he he's a goaltender, though. Goaltender, yeah. I know. But you, Terry Sawchuk, in the old days, you used to have the sticks. Had the goal sticks used to have the, the 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 point at the end of the stick where the blade and the stick met. He was good enough. There's a couple of guys. They would catch you on the ankles with the corner of that stick and almost break your ankle. Oh, and yeah. And you just say, stay out of the front of the net, kid. You know, and they did it purposely. Yeah, Hall of Famer. And then he came to New York when I was there. By that time, he'd lost about 15 pounds and ended up dying in New York when I was there. Him and Ronnie Stewart got in a fight. But Terry had spleen problems before that. And so was he on L.A. because it was an expansion team? Was he kind of like the, the one each team got a star or something? Yeah, or? in those days, they, the expansion teams, they didn't, the NHL teams didn't put a lot of key players up. They didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And so Terry Sawchuk was our number one guy. And then and after Detroit, the, maybe, or was he Detroit? Yeah, there? he came out of Detroit. Yeah. yeah. And um, Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he came out of Detroit because he'd won the Stanley Cup in Toronto. Terry was such a unique guy. When he won the Stanley Cup, again, loyalty to teammate Johnny Bowers, his backup goalie, they announced Terry Sawchuk won the Vezna or whatever it was, and he wouldn't accept it. He says, no, my partner's... Uh, Johnny Bauer. We oh, accept together. Because they work together. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so those are some of the guys. But right. there's another. I go to Eddie Johnson. Eddie Johnson. How many people know him? He's goaltender in Boston. Okay. Popsy, we call him. He was in St. Louis when I got there. And the Popsy's brothers, supposedly his brothers, might have been in the mafia. <laughs> Popsy was the old time, stuttered, talked so quick you couldn't hear him. You just knew he had respect. Right. Right around the league. He was a great guy for us as a. A lot of these guys I talk about, Chris, when you got to the league, you'd heard about them, okay? Right. Then when you got to the league, they were more than what you thought they were. A and Gordie Howe. Well, Gordie Howe. What a great hockey player he was. Uh-huh. Eh? Well, then when you got there and you got on the ice and you said, ooh, this guy is a for great real. hockey player. <laughs> Timmy Horton, you know, cigarette machine with a head on top. Eddie Johnson, that's the guy that I was thinking about. No, Eddie Johnson. Kind of looks like fo- somebody from... Uh, Oh, Eddie Johnston. He yeah. looks like the guy from the Adams family or whatever, from the Munsters. Right. Uh, he was a tough little guy. So you're saying Eddie Johnston. It, it must be Eddie Johnston. Yeah, S-T-O-N. Gotcha. He played in Boston. Well, him and Bobby Orr, again, Bobby Orr played in Boston, and Eddie Johnston was a guy that uh, kept everybody in line to stay away from Bobby Orr. Gotcha. I mean, don't uh, treat him badly. Again, some of those guys, the old-time hockey players, when I go to them, Derek Sanderson. I mean, Derek Sanderson, you know him, and 
Kirk, I remember him being in Boston, you know, and then all of a sudden became a celebrity and a movie star and everything else. And then he came to New York out of the WHA, and he was tapped. He was broke, and he went right downhill. Why I mentioned Turk? Because he fought back. And now he's a player rep and handles people's monies. He spoke at your high school. But I look back at Turk. First game he played in Detroit against Gordie Howe. Went up to Gordie Howe in warm-up. Put a stick in Gordie's face. Said, you come close to me, old so-and-so. I'll poke your eye out. Well, that went right through the league. Don't mess with Derek Sander. He had to be 170 pounds. We were scared to stiff him. When we so why would he go up to Gordie Howe? Just to teach Gordy, I may be a young guy, but I ain't afraid of you. That was Gordy one of the toughest guys, the, oh. the toughest guy in the league? Uh, meanest. Meanest. Let's talk about that because you, know, you hear about Gordy Howe, and obviously he was Gretzky's idol, and he was, you know, Gretzky broke his points, his point uh, record. So obviously he's a tremendous offensive player, but you're saying that he's mean too. He was mean. He was subtle. He hit you with elbows. Like, I mean, Terry Sartre told me the first game I played in L.A., they put me against Gordy Howe first. He said, kid, watch out for him. And I'm 175 pounds at that time. And I'm facing, I'm looking, and he blinked like crazy. Everybody knew he was blinking. Gordy he, blinked? Oh, yeah. He yeah. had no neck. It was all muscle. And he looked up, and he said, geez, kid, it's ever hot in here. Nice to go for cold bubbly. I said, yeah. And he whacked him right in the head. He punched you? Elbowed. Oh, he took you off guard. <laughs> then I got traded from New York, or to New York, played my first game in Detroit Olympia with uh, my line mates, Bobby Nevin and Ron Stewart, and they put me against Gordy Howe. I knocked out two lenses in that game. Your contact lenses? Yeah. From elbows? Yeah, from elbows. <laughs> the one time, I think I told you this before, when I played a celebrity game in, in L.A. for the All-Star game, it was like one of those ones yeah. against the team and stuff, and Gordy was there as the coach, and I had just bought some new elbow pads, and he goes, those are really nice elbow pads, kid. You know what it's missing? I said, what? He said, teeth marks. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was, a, yeah, he was a, quite a character, but he was who you thought he was. I mean, when you, like a lot of guys you see on TV and you get there, and you, ah. But he was legit, legit, legit. And like, for, 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 this is a quick thing. Like when I when I first started with WCW, to go in the locker room and be, you know, I wasn't obviously wasn't sitting next to them because I wasn't changing in the same room. But to see that Hulk Hogan is real and yeah. Ric Flair is real, I'll never forget that. And Sting and Lex Luger, it really kind of put it in perspective. Like, holy shit! Like this is f-ing real. Yeah, and this is all the guys that I watched and admired, and now I'm here. Do I deserve to be in this dressing room or in this ring or on this ice with them? Was it the same for you when you went up against a, you see a Gordy Howe or a Bobby Orr or somebody in real life? In real life, definitely, because you take a Bobby Orr. I mean, I was supposed to go play with him in Oshawa, and I, I turned pro that year, so I never went. So to get in the ice with Bobby Orr, you can't imagine speed until you're out there with somebody. And you realize, oh, look how fast he is. But when you're on the ice, all of a sudden he goes by you, and you go, uh-oh. You know, he is quick. And he was also tough. You know, one of my things, I'm fighting him with a stupid thing in, in Boston Garden and everything else. But I got Bobby Orr down here, again, for another reason. One is he changed the game of hockey. He won the championship. He gave all the credit to all his teammates. But then when we quit the game, one of our, all our teammates, a guy named Billy Heinle, tried to commit suicide, jumped off a bridge. We wanted to raise some money. Who do we phone? Bobby Orr, because Billy had played in Oshawa with Bobby. Bobby said, I'll be there. Now, to get Bobby Orr to come in in the summertime, basically, he paid his way in, and we played that game. Okay? I remember that. Yeah, and that's where he tweaked his knee the first time. We hurt his knee behind the net on the ice in Winnipeg. Was he still playing pro? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's what's so special about it. I'm going to raise another name then, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Why would I have Wayne Gretzky? I just saw him in L.A. Two reasons. That night, we hadn't sold out the building, okay, and we wanted to raise hundred grand at that time. Bobby was coming in. We had the old national team with Ken Dryden. And it was just a terrific lineup, but we needed somebody. Bobby Orr made a phone call to 17-year-old Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky was in Hawaii, flew back to play that game. And Gretzky wasn't even in the NHL yet. No. He was just the the wonder kind that everyone had heard about. Now, if I look back now at the kindness of people, I saw Wayne at the 50th anniversary. He well, called let, me. let me say one thing quickly. I remember vividly, do you remember what my mom said to Wayne? She said, oh, look at that peach fuzz. You're just a baby or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. You're just but I remember kid. she said peach fuzz. Yeah, she's just a kid. I was at the Viscount Court, and I remember I said, you, he rubbed his face. I'm, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> you know, but that was because, and I, that's where I started to respect a lot of athletes, what they can do for right. each other and for other people. So fast forward to the 50th anniversary, because this is something, too. You, you, you are, you are a tried-and-true ranger, you know, yes. with the ranger you know, hall of fame and, and, and all the stuff that you've gotten. But you got something similar when you got to do that with L.A., which I thought was really cool for you because it kind of reconnected you. Like you were one of the first 
in LA Kings of all time. First one. First and I thought one. that was pretty cool. You got first to experience assist. that. Yeah, first, first assist. First assist ever in LA yeah, Kings yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brian Kilray's goal. But what happened there when we got to LA, Wayne Gretzky. Now, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just, they all came back. We had one guy who played one game for us in that 67, Paul Popeil from <laughs> Austria. He got a goal, never played again. They all came back. It was like 10 minutes, Chris. We were all together again. Yeah, nothing Some was, changed after that. Nothing right changed. And I just say, uh, that's why I appreciate the wrestling. Guys accept me because I played the game, and I respect that for, hey, we're all one. Yeah. Type thing. Anyhow, Gretzky came in. I saw him just before we are going for the, the, for the game, and... He was sitting with his son. He called me over. He said, Teddy, Teddy, can I talk to you? How's your boy Chris doing? Everything else. He said, you know where I was when I came to Winnipeg? I said, I'll never forget that, Wayne. That was so special. He said, I was in Hawaii when Bobby called you went. And he remembered that. And he was vivid and he was excited about it. Now we go into the dressing room before the game. And Luke Robitaille is the president of the hockey club. We got Dion. We got Charlie Simmer and Taylor. You know, uh, Rogie Vashon's in there. We're waiting to go introduce on the ice. Who walks in the dressing room but Wayne Gretzky? He says to Luke Robitaille, he says, Luke, where's the champagne? They said, why? These guys started it. If it wasn't for these two bottles of champagne showed up, he did a toast to us. He didn't have to do yeah. that. So I remember that stuff. So that's those are the kind of guys. Yeah. Brian Kilroy, my first centerman. Up to November, I was number five or six in the league in scoring. And then what year? That was the first year. 67? You were number five or six in the league? Oh, seven or eight, maybe I'd lie a little bit. <laughs> Top ten. <laughs> I might say, hey, yeah, how I'm going, I got that summary. I'm looking at my name. I'm with Esposito, Howe, and everybody else. Brian Kilroy is my centerman, the famous centerman out of Springfield who became the top junior hockey coach in the world. He was my centerman. If it wasn't for him, I would never got off the start I did. Then he hurt his knee. They sent him to the minors. My career went right downhill after that. <laughs> so was he setting you up, or what was oh, he doing? Oh, he was just a playmaker plus. Yeah. He didn't even, he, you just had to get open. There's a couple of games there you'll see on TV where I got the hat trick in Chicago. I just stood there. You know, Brian put it right on it. But one of those guys away from the game, and the key, because he was the guy who brought Al Eagleson into the, being the player rep into the NHL. Wow. So, I mean, we'd met Eagle way earlier than anybody else because of Brian, because Eagleson happened to be the representative for Springfield in the old American League. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let me ask you this. When you're talking about, you know, you come into the NHL in, in 67 and you have, like you mentioned, top 10 scoring, even if it was for a month or two months, I mean, that's that's pretty pretty big. You must have been, like the talk of Winnipeg when you grew up playing. You must have been like the best guy in the city or one of them to get that far in the league because as we know, like you said, there's not like, okay, so everyone knew Gretzky is going to make it. But to even make it in the NHL at all, you got to be great in your local area. And then to score as many goals as you did, you must have been one of the best guys in the city. Well, you, you, you didn't think of it at that time. We didn't, we didn't have the internet and all that stuff. You know what I'm like on that stuff. Right. All you knew about this other part of the world was hockey news. So we never knew if we were good or bad or indifferent. I knew I was signed by Boston. Mm. But I made the all-star team, and I went to Saskatchewan to play against the Saskatchewan team. And there was a guy named uh, Kenny Reardon, who was an assistant general manager in Montreal Canadiens, and said in the paper, this Ted Irvin could be something. I never thought that stuff. Eh? Mm. So when you, what happened was, same as you probably, when you get out there with guys, you start to realize, you know what, I can compete. And at that time, I got flown to Boston to play one game. Nobody ever done that before. Western Canada. Who flew? But so, so they they came to take they they flew you in to to check you out. Yep. And then, LA expansions. They gave you up because you were a prospect, basically. Or they like why would they give you up if they? Well, because that was expansion. They had to leave so many players open. Right. On their list. We got this kid, Irvin. Yeah. We yeah. like him, but yeah, we got to give somebody yeah, up. We got, and LA ended up picking me. Gotcha. So at that time, you didn't know. You know, I, Chris, you talked about lots about. I didn't realize. Where I fit into, oh, maybe, maybe the last 10 years, 
We're, uh, when I go to a Hall of Fame You mean like the last 10 years now, like 2010, yeah, yeah. you didn't realize where you fit in, didn't realize how good you were, didn't realize... Yeah, I didn't realize I was a player. Yeah. You know, I go into Winnipeg and I got on to Van Cornway. I'll see you, Van. Hey, Teddy, how you doing? Larry Rouse, hey, Teddy, how you doing? I know he beat the hell out of me. I'm going, I play against those guys and they know me. Mm -hmm. And it still was hard to accept. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but that just the way it was. I was so focused on New York Rangers because that was my love and still is and that was my team. I knew I fit in there, and to this day I know when I go back there that I was part of New York Rangers, that Larry Brooks, the writers, you know, done real good, nice stuff about Stemkowski, McGregor, and I, the best third line in Ranger history, and, and then the writers voted me 74th out of 100. I know now. 74th, not out of 100, 74th <laughs> on the top 100 Rangers of all time, and yeah. there's probably been 10,000 Rangers. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can't say that there hasn't been in 60 well, years or whatever. the fact is, Jordy Douglas, my partner, uses there's 7,700 guys that played one game in the NHL. Really? Yes. Only 3,500 have played more than 100 games. Wow. And I played over 700. Yeah. So I look at that and say, gee, how the heck do I do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. that's what I mean. You, you, you can't play that long. And I know it was still another era, but you, to have a 10-year career in the NHL, you've got to be pretty damn good. To have that longevity. Well, to stay there because everybody wanted your job. When you went to training camp, you were told by the scouts, we got these young guys coming up Irvin, you better start working. You're going to be sent oh, they, to they'd oh, and, yeah. you know, and you, and The first couple of years, you're scared stiff. And, and then after a while, you realize that's just their job. But, but you're, yeah, you just, just your stats is, is for people listening is 724 games, 154 goals, 177 assists, 331 points. That's one point basically every two games. Yeah. Look at my playoffs. Okay, playoffs. Eighty. So also six hundred fifty-seven penalty minutes. So there you go. Uh, Eighty-three games in the playoffs. Sixteen goals, twenty-four assists, forty points. So that's one. Literally one every two games. So I became known as a playoff player, wow. which I didn't realize till after. And I look at my stats and I look at some of the places where I'm going. Wow, I put up some points. Yeah. Well, but look at this though. Like your first year. 22 goals in, six, in your first year in the Kings, 24 in your second. Then you go to the Rangers, you do 18, 21, 20, and 17. I mean, you add all that together, it's basically 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, give or take 20 goal seasons. Yeah, if you played a, now, you'd be yeah, making 10 million. Didn't have a 26 goal game in there? You get 26 goals. Yeah. One, sorry, I was looking at uh, yeah. I was looking at assists. They're not negotiations with you, you know. That's <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at assists. You had 18 your first year, then you did 20 with the Rangers, 26 with the Rangers, and 17 with the Rangers. So add all those together, divide it. That's, that's four 20 seasons, yeah. which would be a $10 million yeah. player. Now. And didn't, uh, didn't play on the power play. Really? No. Stemmer. Uh, that's, and that's third line. Yeah. So who's scoring more goals than, I mean, 26 goals. I'm sure there's some snipers, but... Well, Who's getting more goals in 73-74 than that? We had the gag line. We had Jobert, Rattel, and Hadfield. They got 50 goals that one year, those guys. Wow. They also, and then you had Kachuk was scoring, Steve Vickers, who sent a heck of a, killed himself laughing at you and I at the Chicago, because he still remembers you at the Chicago wrestling. He said, I love watching you guys. Remind me of you and Billy Fairburn <laughs> right. fighting in the hallway at the, ho the hotel. So, yeah, you know but you didn't think those things at that time. Right. You were part of a team, eh? Mm -hmm. Now if I look back, I say, wow. You know, I, well, but that's the way the, the I was going to say the business, but it is business. The way the, the game is now is more about individual stats yes. than team stats, yeah, right? It's, I remember Walt Kachuk, he always says, have a great year up to Christmas, renegotiate, then float the rest of the year. <laughs> and now, guys, they, when you see what's happening after the end of the year, guys are holding up their points. They're going somewhere. Mm -hmm. They're going to get mm -hmm. their money. Yeah, or like trying to get onto yeah. the Stanley Cup team. But you know, you had some people, I know you but I, I look at when I was there, Emil France was such a gentleman to us, uh, to your mom and I. When I first got there, I'm coming from L.A. I got one blazer. I go up and meet him. He's got any money? I said, 20 bucks. Here's 100. He says, here's another 200. Go get another blazer tomorrow. No, Emil is the general manager? Emil is the general manager. And the coach? And the coach. So he did both. He did both. Wow. He was such a gentleman. He says, where are you going to live? He says, I got a house for you. I'll give you the down payment. To this day, my sorriest thing in the NHL is Emil Francis doesn't have a Stanley Cup ring. Mm -hmm. All the guys will say this. He was a gentleman, gentleman, gentleman. Couldn't have been a nicer man for us. Great guy. I'm going to mention Orlin Curtinback. <laughs> Orlin Curtinback, I got traded to New York Rangers. Orlin Curtin was one of the best fighters ever. Okay, they used to nickname him Candle. <laughs> one shot, you're out. And <laughs> what do you he, call him? Candle? Candle. Candle. Yeah, because we just knew he had long arms and he was just a, he's one of, and big, dedicated centerman, third or fourth line. He gets traded to Vancouver that. Next year, I'm playing. 
we play in Madison Square Gardens, and the fans love him in Madison Square Garden. Kurt's playing for Vancouver, and I'm going, wow. They love him because he's tough. I ran him and put him halfway over the boards. Changed my whole career in New York. People started to like me. After the game, Kurt came up to me and says, Teddy, you had to do that. Don't ever do it again. <laughs> I'll never forget those words. He recognized that hey, kids got to do something. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember that vividly. He could have killed me, but he let me go. Why would I remember stuff like that? So what is the difference? And obviously you get the two biggest media markets in the world, uh, Los Angeles and New York. What's the difference for you uh, getting traded from L.A. to New York? I guess from a fame standpoint, from a notoriety standpoint, from a spotlight standpoint, because L.A., even though it's L.A., wasn't a big hockey town. No. And New York is nothing but a hockey town. Yeah. And you knew that. Even when you played at home, more fans showed up. At right. Ranger uh, jerseys. Uh, Montreal jerseys, Toronto jerseys. We were an afterthought out there. Now, now. Until Gretzky showed up at base. Well, maybe Dion to an extent. Dion until to Gretzky. Quite a bit, but even with that, it's never. Dion and those guys don't get the notoriety yeah. that Gretzky does or a Robitaille. They just didn't push it out there. So you just didn't have the media. When I went to New York, you, you got, you're traveling with three, four, five reporters. Montreal travels eight, nine, ten of them. Oh, they travel on the team plane Tra or with well, your. No, well, or the travel. Uh, most times you kept your reporters away from the, oh, okay. from the players. Uh, uh, they'd watch. But they travel there. around with yeah. you. Yeah, gotcha. that was when they got to the press box. They were there. Even today, now it's a big business. At that time, but New York, it was Big Apple. The dress code. As soon as I went down to the hotel lobby the first night, I got traded to New York. I walked in the hotel lobby. I'm looking. Their suits are worth more than I made. Yeah. The guys, Vic Hadfield and Stewart and uh, Rod Gilbert, man. My God, where do you get clothes like this? But you got there. It was Big Apple. The big difference in New York, when you went to another town, if you went to Oakland, if you went to L.A., you went to Vancouver, everybody wanted a piece of the Big Apple. So you had to raise your game. Everyone wanted a piece of the game? Everyone wanted to beat you guys? Yes, bad. Fans and players. Oh, wow. They all went to another level. And that, that made us all better because we knew people were coming after us. So that was good. Hmm. Okay, two, two other groups, two families, the Sutter family. It meant a lot to me away from the game and on the game. Stanley Cup winners, but the love of the game of hockey itself. Six, seven brothers, actually, and Gary's the oldest, never did play. Mm -hmm. And the six brothers and Mr. Sutter, they were, to me, the more I got to know them as a family and over the years, they're the epitome of what athletes should be. Love the game, work hard, respect. I really appreciate being part of their world, even to this day. And I still watch... Like, I wear my Ranger ring, Dwayne Sutter, Brent Sutter. got more Stanley rings. They don't wear their rings. They're just unassu really? yeah, unassuming guys. They yeah. don't want to talk about it. Well, this is a family, too, that would go play, once again, bright lights, big cities, and then in the summertime go home and, and bale hay on the farm or whatever the hell they're doing. Yeah, and the old man would smack you in the stomach and say, get in shape. Yeah, I, I remember them as something about what hockey really is. Hmm. The Plager brothers, Bobby and Mark. I hated them. Didn't like playing against them. Now I know Bobby a little bit better. There were two brothers that made it from a small town, most emotional sweater hangings ever in St. Louis. Barclay, See, these are the guys that you met in St. Louis. Made in St. Yeah. Louis. Well, I fought Bobby and Noel Picard in one game in St. Louis. Emil Francis, New York Rangers, happened to be there. After the game, he said, I want you. I said, I ain't fighting those two guys again. <laughs> and Bobby was miserable and tough. We became kind of friends. And... Uh, I didn't have that respect for him when I played with him. Now I see him as a human being and what he does for the game and how he loved it and what his family meant to him, what the brothers meant. I have a lot of respect for that. So the game, all the names I have here, the Bobby Halls. Let me just say a couple of things. Bobby Plager gave me a cigarette when I was about five years old. <laughs> it might have been a beer too. But I, think Jill, Jill, I think Jill's Marat gave me the beer and uh, Bobby Plager gave me the cigarette. And just before you continue on, I'll go back to, to the Sutter's. The reason why you met the Sutters in the first place is, was it your last year was Brian's rookie year? And he was yep. the, the first one to, to break into the league, right? Yes. So that's where that friendship started. Yeah. yeah and what was he like as a player, even as a, as a rookie? Compassionate, miserable, and he'd go through a wall for you. Mm. He, and, and in the dressing room, you'd just shut your mouth because he'd just come right after you. He was a leader, a true, true leader. And he were, I used to go, when I was quit, I'd go on the highway in Winnipeg because you couldn't get the radio stations out of St. Louis because he got on a roll that one year and he was scoring goals left and right, him and Bernie Federico. Yeah. But I was so proud of Brian because it was hard work for him. He was never the great. He just fought everybody and everything else. So he brought that. He had more compassion than most guys I've ever played with. 
Mm. Compassion yeah. for the for the team or for everything people the game, or? respect for the game. Gotcha. To this day, if I phone uh, uh, you know, a Brent Snyder, he calls everybody Mister. Oh, I talked to Mister So. Oh, I talked to Mister So. That, that's the kind of respect. Yeah, that that's a, that's a really rare rare thing, yeah. you know. And that's one thing we, we we don't have to get into. But talking about how he got a little bit of flack for his coaching, you know, his coaching uh, bravado or coaching strategies or, or personality. But that's that's how you deal with. You know, millionaire superstar athletes. These guys are real salt of the earth yeah. farmers. Yeah, it's like it's like a, 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 a dressing room full of Jerry Palcos, like just yeah. good, good people, yeah. salt of the earth people. And you know they're right. Yeah, <laughs> they know you're not working out. And yeah. Daryl Sutter got ripped pretty good, and the whole family people stood up for him. Hey, you guys won the Stanley Cup because of his attitude. Now the game's changed. I understand. Yeah, it is different. But they brought a different intensity to the game. Right on and off the ice, you still want to be around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Who else do you think? Well, when I look at like Bobby, Bobby Hall, to this day for him to come in Winnipeg, but there again, there was an example. When you skate on the ice at Chicago Stadium and you saw him shoot a puck, you realized this is real. How do you mean by that? In what way? Because the rink was about 15 feet shorter at center ice in the old stadium. And when Bobby shot, I mean, it just came off a stick like you wouldn't believe. From from a wrist shot or a slap shot too? It was or? always a slap shot or a snap shot because he had the hook stick and that puck was going up and down all over the place. But he'd shoot the goal, the rookie goaltender, shoot his head right away. That's mm. the first thing he'd do. Then they'd all stand on their toes. The next shot he'd put on the ice. But he was strong. Those were guys. If I go to guys like Hall, or the Bellevue, Cornwall, Lafleur, then I go to Bossy. These guys could score goals and they did it at the right times those are the guys you just knew no matter who you checked they were going to score a goal hmm. they were that good you know hmm. and that's hard in this day and age at that time we were always told to check them check them they scored and we said well how the heck did they get away they were that good well you just get 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 zip past you how would they get away? how would they get if you were supposed to check one of these guys how did they get past you well because that time what you did is you had to keep your forward to the boards okay and so you count on the guy going down the boards and coming back up the boards. And uh, they learned how to go inside you. But oh. they also had Makitas feeding them. They had guys feeding them. They were, out, they were just there to pass the puck. Okay? Uh, like Normie Ullman with Gordie Hall. Uh, Bellavo to Cornway. Cornway got four goals the first game we played against him in L.A. I mean, we chased Bellavo all over the ice. Cornway just stood in front of the net and put him in. Mm. I saw Van recently and. I said, man, do you remember that game where you got four goals? I could have had 10, Teddy. You kids are chasing all over the ice after Big John. <laughs> Most emotional funeral service I've ever seen because uh, of respect of uh, Jean Bellow and Jean Rotella, two of the classiest hockey players on and off the ice ever. Mm. And they did, uh, Ivan did the uh, eulogy, and it was all about my captain, my captain, where art thou? And oh. it was so emotional. That's what he meant to that hockey club. Mm -hmm. So all the guys I'm talking about are Hall of Famers. Billy Fairman, roommate of mine for six years. Love him to death. We got through so many ups and downs together. But there's so many guys, you know, like, yeah, they were great on the ice. Eddie Jackman showed up the night you were born at the house at 12 o'clock at midnight, bought a bottle of champagne. Mm -hmm. You know, all the guys. And I remember Eddie because everybody wanted to kill Eddie. You go into Boston, they hated Eddie. Because he's the goaltender. He the was goaltender, good. Yeah, yeah, he was good. And he was feisty. Oh. And I respect Eddie so much. You know, and uh, there's certain guys I know how great they were, but I also know what they meant. Now that I look, I watched trades, the old days of trades that traded a veteran guy. That veteran guy was probably so key in that dress room. Most teams didn't realize why that team was like glue. It was because certain, you know, mm -hmm. Van Imp in Philadelphia let him go. That team wasn't the same. It's the chemistry, right? Yeah, certain the chemistry. Guys like that, yeah. And there's certain guys that can go to anybody in, in your dress room and challenge them or say the right thing. Okay. It's like a Claude Lemieux guy, never really a star, but every team he played for won. Yeah, yeah. and then the thing about Claude Lemieux, most guys hate him in the restroom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right, right, right. So, right. so any of the guys I, I mentioned when I go through all that stuff, as you get to a certain point, yeah, I appreciate their skills, and they were good hockey players. And, you know, Derek Sanderson, I mean, he got Chuck Lefty, got 46 goals when you're in. Every goal was a highlight reel. And most games, Turk couldn't even stand up. He was so spaced and everything else. And he got forty-six. You said you said Chuck. You know, Sanderson got forty-six goals. Chuck got first, oh. and Chuck and Derek was the uh, center. Oh, gotcha. Everything was almost a breakaway. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So when you're talking about, and just to go back a, 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 a bit, when you're talking about like Billy Fairman and your roommate, you're talking about Santis and how, how crazy he was. This is the 70s. So, you know, 70s in a rock and roll band, everyone's pretty nuts. Obviously, you have a lot more rules because it's a, it's a professional hockey team, but you're still in New York City, and it's still the 70s. There's a lot of, a lot of guys partying at night, and, and, and do they try and sneak out past the curfew and all that sort of stuff? I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know, we always thought we were fooling Emil Francie, knew everything we were doing, and yeah, you, you did stupid stuff. And it's like when we played in, in New York, if we played in Toronto Saturday night we and played the next day in uh, New York, they wouldn't let us go home. We had to go stay in a hotel in downtown New York, just like the visiting team. Oh. So we'd land at 1 o'clock in the morning. I always remember my first game I played with New York. My roommate was Billy Fairburn, who never said a word. And I got there, and he says, you want to go for a beer? I says, 1 o'clock in the morning. Let's go walk Chuck. We went on, we sat till 2, 3 in the morning having cheeseburgers and laughing and everyone else played the next day. I said, is this normal? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we became great, great friends over the years. Yeah, you did that. You know, they were pretty, you know, you're pretty responsible. I mean, Montreal was the greatest. Like Scotty Bowman, he knew the guys were out basically. And he used to give the doorman because the doors would lock at 12 o'clock at most hotels we went to. And if you got there late, you were locked out. But if you knew the doorman, he let the door open. But Scotty Bowen would give the doorman a, a, a program, have the guy sign an autograph. Next day, <laughs> guys would be called into the office and we go, how does he know all this stuff? <laughs> Bobby Plager got caught out more times than everyone else, and you know, he'd go in and there'd be uh, somebody in the, you know, Scotty Bowman again in St. Louis. Say, Bobby, uh, you got a cigarette? You got a match? Bobby, give him a match. Next day, he'd be called into the office. Bobby, got to find you 100 bucks because you're at Zelda Mays Bar in Boston. How do you know that? You give me the matchbook cover, you <laughs> dummy. I mean, we, all that stupid stuff. And uh, so, you know, and those guys, too, they tra they traveled by train, the original six guys. Eh? Oh, wow. And they were hectic because sometimes two teams were on the same train. And it was, uh, guys hated each other, the old six team. Mm. I mean, they wouldn't. That rivalry was real. Oh, very real. Because I went, got to New York. When I got to Winnipeg, did some broadcasting. John Ferguson would not talk to me, say hello or nothing. He's, you're the enemy, basically. That's Because you were a ranger yeah. and he was a Canadian. Yeah. Wow. So, we, yeah, again, the curfew was in every house. And, uh, but you had some of the veterans here. What you do, kids, you, you, go, you get a newspaper and some toothpaste and you walk in backwards. Oh, I just went out to get some toothpaste and newspaper. Like, <laughs> like they did in no way. I mean, like that the, the trick in wrestling is that if you get there late, you don't come in with your, with your gear. Yeah. You just leave it in the car. Yeah. Go make sure everyone sees you. Hang out for a bit. Then go grab it a couple hours later so no one knows the difference. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the well, little tricks, right? Yeah, that was it. And then they find you for it and everything else. Always, but you know, like most of the times, your playoffs they usually take you away and they put you in hotels way out of nowhere, and they bury you. Like we, the year we beat Boston, we hadn't beaten them all year long, and Emil Francis took us to this little town called Fitchburg, and we worked out two, three days, and then he had a team party, just us guys, and we had a few drinks, and we went in and beat Boston two games. You know, but they brought you closer and everything else. The camaraderie is very important in this, oh, right? Especially in those days because you needed each other on the ice because you didn't know, especially when they got a team like Boston, they're going to run you. And you need everybody standing up for everybody. And all due respect, we all knew there's guys in the room. That wasn't their game. Mm -hmm. And you had to be there for them. I remember Teddy Green, one of the toughest, recently passed away, toughest guy not that big of a plate in his head, I think, right? He yeah, still plate or something. Like Mackey hit him in the head. And yeah. Anyhow, so when he played, he had Don Ori. They brought Don Ori up, and Donnie had played with us. Don Ori? Ori, yeah. Ori. Yeah, Donnie had played with us. He played for Team Canada against the Russians. Oh, okay. Russia. But he came up from Boston, and he brought him into uh, Boston. And Donnie was never really a tough guy. And Teddy Green grabbed him in practice. He said, you and I are playing together. Yeah. If, if you're not the first guy in the corner with me, I'm coming after you. Changed Donnie's career. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'd say, Gopher, where did you, where did you get to be a tough guy all of a sudden? Yeah, <laughs> Gary Dornhofer, miserable elbows in Philly to this day, but when he played in Boston, he wasn't that guy. Hmm. When he got into Boston or Philly, you had a guy like Bobby Clark that wouldn't put up any guff in the dressing room, outside the dressing room, on the ice. He was just a miserable hockey player. Wish I would have played with him, hated him, but he won the Stanley Cup because he challenged the guys to take him to different levels. Hmm. So, in those days, you listen to those guys. 
Right, 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 right. You know. it, it, it seems there's a, there's, as we wind down here, there's a pattern that you're saying of guys that were really talented, but also super mean. Like you mentioned, Orr was like that, and Howell was like that, and Clark was like that. So these guys wouldn't have a problem sticking you from behind as they would go score their hat trick. Couldn't care. Even warm-ups. Hmm. You know, there'd be a little bump. You know, you can't go across center right, so all of a sudden you're scooting ball, so you get a little shoulder from Gordon and go, you know, what's this all about? Uh-huh. You know, and we played in Philadelphia. They used to have the referees stand at, on the, on the, just outside the goal when we warmed up. Because you didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. You know, you're going to come after you or not and everything else. Eh? So, but most of those guys, like I say, they were winners. The guys that, uh, you know, the one knows, I mean, you go to Boston and they beat us. It was guys like Ace Bailey, you know. He died on the plane he, yes, uh, in 9-11, right? And I still believe he's the guy who said, let's roll. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because he, he was crazy. He was the best guy I ever told you was Wayne Gretzky. He was a bodyguard brought in there, Ace Bailey, in Edmonton. Really? Oh, Gretzky was getting hit all the time, so they brought Ace Bailey in. They couldn't get Ace Bailey on the ice because he wasn't there for – finally, he was uh, – Wayne Gretzky said to him, you know, Ace, that guy number 12 keeps on hitting me. Ace says, I can't get on the ice, but next shift, come right down the boards close to our bench. This guy was chasing Wayne, came right this close. Ace just leaned over and cold cocked him. <laughs> Out cold, Ace played from then on. <laughs> he couldn't crack the lineup until no. he did that. <laughs> so, but those are good. That, that's still good memories I have, how you stuck together. Right, right, right. Yeah. When you're talking about, you know, we mentioned all the goals and assists. You had a lot of fights, too. Who, who, who was, like, the toughest guys as fighters, either that you fought or that you would see? I'm not talking the hows and that. Who... Who were actually guys that would knock you out with a with a punch if they could get you? Uh, Clark Gillies, really Islanders. Yeah, he was. He knocked you out, right? Yeah, he. Well, he didn't knock me out. He he split my head back of my head. Mm. And I had to go by the Islander bench, and the blood was pouring out of my hands. Watch out for Clark. He, uh, so he was a, a tough guy. You had uh, for me, uh, uh, Butch Bouchard. You know, he caught me one punch. I was out cold in Madison Square Garden. In fact, that's the picture you brought home in a library book. You say, look, you're fighting this guy. I said, well, look where his fist is. I turned around. His fist was in my head so quick. Wow. I got fined 100 bucks. No, Stemmer had jumped in. He got fined $100. I couldn't even close my eye. Next, I couldn't even put my glasses on. It hit me so hard. But then John, Stan Jonathan for Boston wailed him, just wailed him. Yeah. Changed everybody's career then. You know, it's interesting. It's funny, too, because you mentioned these certain names. And as a kid growing up, I remember like thinking, oh, yeah, John Ferguson's an asshole just because of your opinion of him. I remember we used to go to the, the Sutter's had a golf tournament. And I remember one of your Gillies was there. And you were telling me, I don't like that son of a bitch. Or something about Gillies yeah. is an asshole. That's probably the reason why. <laughs> just I had to do some work with him from the Sutter family about a year ago. He phoned me from Hawaii. He says, Teddy, it's Clark. I said, Clarky. You remember when I hit you? I said, I'll never forget it. <laughs> he was laughing. Boy, did I ever hit you. you know? But there was lots of guys like, you know, like guys could really throw them. Every team had a couple of guys could really throw. Today's guys, eh, not so much now. Last couple of years, there's some good fighters. They're fighters. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're trained to fight and everything else. We were slappers more than anything else, I think. And well, you just wait for the referee to break it up. Yeah, most well, of the that's times, the right? worst words you ever heard in a, in a fight. The referee yells, let him go. <laughs> 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 and you grab the referee quickly. Get him in there. Get him in there. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit, uh, uh, um, the last few things about when you mentioned earlier that you feel bad, the whole team feels bad, that Emil Francis never got a Stanley Cup ring. Tell us about how close you guys got the one year and, and, and how that felt to be so close and not get it. Well, we lost in the sixth game. 72? 72, yeah. yeah. We'd played in Boston uh, the fifth game. And they had the Stanley Cup in their dressing room. Okay, it's a, a tradition. They celebrate after. And we won the game. I remember setting up Bobby Russo. Wow, so they put the they put it in their dressing room, oh, even though you guys... Knew, they had the napkins already made up. Oh, my gosh. That's a, that's a real oh, asshole thing to do. Yeah, well, that time they were going to beat us. And we won that game. Your grandpa Jake was at that game. Wow. Anyhow, we went back home and we thought, hey, we got him. Okay? Yeah. Bobby Orr took the puck and wouldn't let us touch it. And they won three one in Madison Square Garden. Bobby Orr took the puck figuratively. He he, he just took control of the so game. He took control of the game with a goal and assist and everything else. And, and what happened was after the game, fans tried to fight the wives in, in a restaurant. They were so mad at us. Fans tried to fight the wives. <laughs> we didn't know what it was. We sat in the dressing room after. There wasn't a beer in there. We didn't really realize we were in the Stanley Cup. Mm. The pomp and circumstance. So then the next year we thought, okay, now we've learned. 
and we never made it, never got past the next round. Yeah. And that's when all the changes happen. Everybody thinks it's so easy to get there. You may never get back. Right. You may never get back. So that one hurt from a point of view. The teams we were playing against, their general managers were tough and miserable, and uh, they were after a meal too. Okay. And that's what hurt us. We knew the other general managers who were winning the Stanley Cups. We also knew that the class of Emile Francis, maybe it was too good a guy for such a thing mm -hmm. and too loyal. He had guys on the ice at the end that, you know, maybe shouldn't have been on there. Oh, I Who see. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I'm and just looking here. Uh, April 30th, first game, Boston wins 6-5 to five Yeah. in Boston. May 2nd, Boston wins again 2-1 to one in Boston. So you guys went down right off the bat. Then you win in the Garden 5-2 to two on the 4th. Then you lose in the Garden 3-2 to two on the 7th. And that's probably when they had the, so now you guys are down three to one. So that's probably in Boston. Yep. They had the uh, cup in there, but then you guys beat them three to two. Yep. And then of course they beat you in the garden three, nothing on May 11th. Yep. So at least you took it away from them winning at home. <laughs> you always look at the positive side of things. Right. But we talked this day. You can never recover that time. And yeah. For anybody to win us, I think I've told you, I've been in a lot of functions and charity games where they have the Stanley cup there. If you've never won it, you don't touch it. And then that's an old school mentality yeah. there. Yeah. No, I mean, so you've never touched it? Never touched it. I will say this too. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. On the game, the game five, when you guys took it back three games to two and you won three to two, you had an assist on the winning goal. Yep. Bobby Russo. Bobby Russo. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's pretty yeah. uh, pretty good stuff. So, so you will never touch the Stanley Cup? Never touch it. Is that something that all players do even to this day? I think so. I, you know, the guys are all dying off now, but I know the group I'm with, we wouldn't touch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you just wouldn't touch it. Just too much respect. Like in Winnipeg, you had Ab McDonald's won it four times, and we go to function, Abby could hold it, and everybody else, we just sat and looked yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know, so. yeah. That's a lot of respect to win. Mm -hmm. I play with a guy, Reggie Leach's son. He's won it twice. Never played in the NHL. How? <laughs> well, he got called up for playoffs, and at that time, you were there. He yeah, was but he, that's a technicality. But yeah, he says it too. He yeah. doesn't embrace it. I feel so bad. I say, I don't. You, you were there, pal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, last question for you. So it's a twofold question. Who, in your opinion, who's the best player that you ever played against? For me, it's Bobby Orr. Yeah. I believe he changed the game of hockey. In what way? Uh, bringing the puck up the ice. Doug Harvey was very good with the puck. But Bobby Orr, not only could pass, but he could lead the rush. So my, I've always told you we were taught to hit him in his end. Stemkowski and I, we were told, hit him, okay? Yeah, we hit him, all of a sudden he'd be leading the rush, and where in the hell did he go? So then we said, okay, well, hit the other guy. And Bobby is up there. So I believe he changed the game, his skill, but he was also a tough kid. You know, Bobby fought lots, mm -hmm. and he was good. I believe as a leader at that age and for that club, he was the straw that stirred that whole team. So for me, he changed the game. Because mm -hmm. once he got that good, you got to remember everybody wanted a piece of him. So he got ran lots. And when he got, went to Chicago, which was a disaster of disasters, he didn't even know that Boston had offered him a contract. Mm -hmm. Eagles had never told him. Oh, jeez. And he ended up in Chicago. His knee was gone on him. He only played a couple of years there. Yeah. I remember we lost 5-2. He got two goals and two assists in Chicago. And we looked at the film after. He couldn't even lift the one leg. Mm -hmm. He got four points. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I liked his demeanor away from the game. Uh, so for me, he was, for me, changed the game of hockey. It was an honor to play against him. And who's the best player ever? Well, that's, you know, like if I go best player ever, the guys, it has to go back to the Boston guys. Montreal, I guess, I have to go to guys that killed us. And that was Lafleur. You know, from your era? Yeah. Lafleur, he killed us. Bobby Hall was great. Was he the best player ever? Basically, you either got to go to one of the goaltenders, which could be Dryden, which could be Glenn Hall. It could be a Bobby Hall. I don't know. Bobby Orr to me still. Doug Harvey was undersold. That We just didn't know how great he was. Richards had such a mean streak. A quick story. I was at a function the other night, and a lady said, do you know my uncle Wally Hergesheimer? I said, I played with Hergie in New York. Or he played. No, I, played, I worked with Hergie. He played in New York the years I had. Hergie played a game in Madison Square Garden in the early 50s. And behind the net, he ran Rocket Richard. And Rocket Richard just gave it to him. Hitting him, and he's only 5'7", this Hergie. Hitting him and hitting him, and the New York Rangers went in, and Rocket just looked at him and said, 
this kid's got to learn the proper way to play the game. Get out of here. <laughs> and guys step back for a couple of seconds and say, teach him a lesson. So I think Rocket had the most fire. Yeah. But, you know, Chris, I mean, I have Boom Boom Jeffrey. I mean, did they change the game? Ronnie Richard. Yeah, all those guys. Harry Hall. I played against some unbelievable hockey players. Gordon, Teddy, Lindsay. I mean, guys are just, you know, mm-hmm. Hall of Famers. They all played their own way, played a certain role. But to me, Bobby Orr takes everything. That's the one. Yeah. Last thing is a speed round here. We did it last time, but I want to see you do it again. Nicknames. This is the 72 Rangers. I'm going to say their name. You tell me the nickname that they had. Glenn Sather. Slats. Roger Bear. Rocky. P. Goyette. Uh, well, that was Phil. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Fairbairn. Uh, or sorry, Bill, Bill Fairbairn. Augie Doggy. Vic Hadfield. Muffy. Bruce McGregor. Uh, Murdoch. <laughs> Walt Kachuk. Uh, Bug Dunn. Sean Rattel. Uh, Johnny. Gene uh, Carr. Uh, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Simkowski. Stammer. Bobby Russo. Uh, Rosso. Teddy Irvin. Uh, uh, Superman and Sparrow Legs. <laughs> and Toshku, of course, and, and which Moose. apparently is Ukrainian for Ted. And Moose. Uh, Brad Park. Porky. Greg, uh, Gary Doke. Doki. <laughs> Dale Rolf. Uh, Goat. <laughs> Rod Sealing. Uh, Sod. And Gilles Villemieux. Whitey. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I didn't know. What's their other names? I didn't know they had other names. <laughs> Ed Jackman. Uh, Guinea. <laughs> the only one I didn't know was uh, Pete Goyette. Phil Goyette? Is that Phil Goyette, yeah. yeah. He was there just, just a part of the season. Yeah, there. I didn't even play. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. probably call him Frenchy or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dad. It's great talking to you and uh, amazing stories as usual. I actually heard some new ones this time. Oh, did you? Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for the memories. Uh, I, I, when you asked me the question, a lot of these people meant a lot to me because they helped me along the way, just yeah. learning from or playing against them or, and being part of a team, which is so huge for all successes in sports. Yeah, no great stuff. Thank you. Love you, man. Love you too.